9000 series is the most reliable computer ever made. We are all foolproof and incapable of error. Open the pod bay doors, Hal. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. What's the problem? I think you know what the problem is just as well as I do. Hey, everybody, welcome to the Watches Podcast. I'm Alan. I'm Ryan. And I'm Devin. And for the first time ever, the three of us are in the same room recording this podcast. I think that's the quickest Devin responded to his name needing to be said. <laughs> Guys, it's weird. I'm like, I'm on top of it now. I love yeah. it. It's, uh, it's weird because we've been doing the show together for almost a year and a half. Yeah. Uh, and this is the first time all three of us have been in the same room. Yeah. yeah, it's it's actually really cool to like actually see how the setup is and like you have parts of this wall behind you that I can't see on camera that yeah. are just amazing in real life. <laughs> well, thank you. And um, to celebrate, we figured we got to do a big one. Yeah, a big movie that two of us have never seen, and I don't think there's anything bigger than 2001: A Space Odyssey. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like that, that's one of the ones that everyone's like, oh, that's my favorite Kubrick, and that that's like a classic. And I mean, it's art. Like, yeah, so we decided not only to record it together, but to watch it together yeah. over at Ryan's apartment this morning. So we're here. Uh, before we get too deep into the episode, if you hear some clickings, uh, we have a photographer here taking photos of us as well because we're documenting this historic moment. <laughs> so it's, it's so legit now. It is legit, and I'm happy about that. So this is a movie that Devin and I had never seen, but Ryan has. Yes. So Ryan... Uh, Real quick, just talk about a little bit of your history with 2001 A Space Odyssey. Well, the his, uh, when it comes to me in this movie, I've seen it to date, I think around like 14 to 16 times, including today. Wow. Um, it started when I was extremely young. Like this was one of the first few sci-fi movies that my dad had me watch. Um, and even at a very young age, I actually sat through this whole thing because I was so entranced by like the music and the the shots and the way the and the way the movie looked and just how confused I was as a kid. Um, and it's been one of those movies that ever since like Google and AOL and Ask Jeeves and Yahoo became a thing that I started to like research. And uh, you know, like people will like randomly at midnight if they can't sleep, like look up something weird and just kind of go down a rabbit hole on like wiki. Mm-hmm. Um, I do that. With, I I do that with this movie occasionally. So there are some things that I've learned about it along the way that's made the movie a lot more enjoyable huh. and not as like confusing. And I'm sh- I'm so. sure we're gonna dive into some of those, which is why I'm not bringing them up now. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna need it. So yeah, Devin, you're. You just turned 30 over the weekend. Oh, We're going to reveal your age for oh, everyone man. out there. Oh, that hurt, we both had birthdays this weekend. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 29 and 30. How? Perfect. Why have you gone 30 years without seeing this movie? All right. You're going to be mad. You're both going to be mad, and I'm sorry. This is one of those movies that I feel like I didn't, didn't need to see because I've seen enough of it in the cultural zeitgeist. Okay. Ryan can stare at me. It's okay. Uh, so <laughs> it's like it's almost like Robocop where like, I know like – the part that lines up with Pink Floyd. I knew the baby floating in space at the end. I knew like the monkey part in the beginning. Cause we've all seen the Simpsons. Like I've, I've seen some parts of this movie and I was like, you know what? If I connect these random fragments, I probably have the best parts of the movie and I don't need to actually go watch to connect any of it. Uh, and I was wrong. Okay. Yeah. So this is one of those movies where I went through film school and they never showed me a single Kubrick movie. What? Yeah. Why? They showed me the same Hitchcock movie three times. <laughs> <laughs> Rear window. Yeah. So <laughs> I've, but I've never seen 2001. Like we've, we've done a few Kubrick movies for the podcast. Yeah. We've lost, we lost the one and we haven't gone back to do it yet. 
which I um, still have the DVD of. So, which one did you guys lose? Uh, Doctor Strange Love. Yeah, we lost Doctor Strange Love. Oh, I'd like to see that one. Um, so we lost that one, but we did The Shining. So okay, yeah. those are the only yeah. two Kubricks I've seen that I count as Kubricks. So I don't really count Spartacus, and I really don't count watching Spartacus in seventh grade on. <laughs> no, yeah. no, that doesn't count at all. Now, for Kubrick, I do have Clockwork Orange and Full Metal Jacket on top of 2001 and Doctor Strangelove, I which feel, that's Doctor Strangelove is my favorite Kubrick movie. I feel like if last year was the year of Kevin Smith, this year would be the year of Stanley Kubrick. Yeah, yeah, that sounds great. Um, I might. I don't know how I feel about that. After watching 2001, <laughs> oh, um, 2001 stands out on its own platform. Yeah, it, it, it's its own thing that he did. So don't go into Full Metal Jacket and Doctor Strange Love and uh, and Clockwork Orange thinking like, oh my god, this is going to be like 2001 because it's not. So wait, why did you wait 29 years to watch? I ju- it's just one of those things where I never got around to it. Oh, like, you just figured you would at some yeah, point. Yeah, and then once we started doing the podcast, like we'll do this at some point. Yeah, um, I'm sure. Because I know Ryan's big on it, so. <laughs> Good. All right, so Ryan, yes. since this was your movie that you made us watch, okay, uh, just give us a little bit of the highlights of why you enjoy this. Okay, so when I was younger, uh, what first what first gripped me about this film was the effects. And I didn't realize that this movie was made in 1968 until I got into like high school, because at that point I didn't really care to look up to see when it was made because it felt modern, even when I saw it originally in like the early 90s to me as a kid. Um, But like the scenes when they're on the spaceships and the space station and having the flight attendant having the gripper shoes, like the Velcro shoes, and how they're like trying to balance themselves as they walk or when uh, the flight attendant was walking in the hallway and then walks up on the ceiling to get to a doorway that's upside down. Um, And then there's other scenes like that where they cut two people standing in like what looks like the same shot, but they're like standing completely opposite directions that physically can't be possible, like to be shot on earth. And that's what gripped me first, the special effects. Okay. Um, as I got older, it was more of the mystery. Like, what the hell is this monolith? Like, what does it stand for? Mm-hmm. You know, why is it changing? Why does it seem to be changing these apes into humans? And why the hell is there one buried on the moon? And why the hell is there one floating around Jupiter? And that's around the time when I was in high school that, like, AOL and Ask Jeeves and Yahoo was around. Mm-hmm. And that's when I started to kind of, like, look stuff up. And that's when I got some of my answers. Okay. Well, uh, before we get into your answers. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Devin, what do you think it all means? Oh, my gosh. Um, <laughs> like, for real. Okay, so I think that the monolith is this, like, basically civilization advancement tool. Okay. It shows up at certain points in a civilization's kind of, uh, like, evolution and causes them to basically be, quote-unquote, reborn into what they will be. So, you know, the the monkeys, like, learned to use tools after the monolith was around. Mm-hmm. And then whatever happened at the end, we don't see, like, what the next advancement was. But I think the baby in space at the end was a metaphor for um, the human civilization kind of being reborn into a more astronomic or more star-based civilization. Mm-hmm. And no longer necessarily needing Earth as much anymore. Okay. That's what I think it meant. Yeah, I, I can agree. You're kind of hitting the same vein that I was okay. thinking. Because um, I even think that the monolith is having a, an effect on Hal. And that's why oh. Hal advances to the point where he's rebelling against the humans. Well, his, his box kind of looks like the monolith a little bit, too, though. Yeah. Like, do you think that's what it was doing on the moon? Well, I, I do have a... Well, they, he talks about the one on the moon and being yeah. worried about it. Um and then there's that one floating around in space. Do we is that just flo- floating around Jupiter or is that one just flying? That is space specifically like- at Jupiter. Okay. It was supposed to be originally Mars, but then Kubrick changed his mind with with Arthur C. Clarke and decided to do Jupiter instead of Mars. Is it Mars in the book? I believe it's Mars in the book. Now, when it comes to my knowledge about like the book yeah. and what Arthur C. Clarke did, um, remember how I said how like. I know enough about Starship Troopers and the book and the movie difference to kind of be able to explain some things. Yeah. Yeah. This, I know absolutely nothing. Other than the fact that Kubrick said in an in a interview that both are completely different experiences about kind of the same story. He seems to be notorious about that with 
book adaptations. He loves yeah. book adaptations. That's one thing I read during that interview too, because he just he he loves the images that pop in his head when he's reading, and he wants to portray that the best he can in film because it's a completely different medium, and he likes to play with questions and answers too when it comes to the audience. Okay, so that's why he loves doing that. Hmm. If you want to borrow it, I think I have this book. I would. I would, yeah, I would definitely love to spend some time reading through that one. Okay. So before we get too deep into the film, I need to talk about a problem I have with 2001 A Space Odyssey. Oh, no. <laughs> you teased this a little uh, earlier. Yeah, uh, this did. is not the one I was teasing earlier. I'll oh, get, okay. I, we'll get into that later. Okay. So for years, I've been complaining about movies suffering from the 2001 syndrome, which is long establishing shots that don't need to be as long as they are <laughs> and are just yes. boring. The prime example of this for me is Star Trek The Motion Picture going off of what we talked about last week. So in Star Trek, the motion picture, there's a five minute scene of Kirk and Scotty going out to the enterprise on a shuttle. And it's just them standing in, in the window and the shuttle is going out and there's music playing and it's Sherry Goldsmith. So it's good, but it's boring. Cause it's just this little dot <laughs> moving towards the big spaceship. And it's so boring, but it's like straight out of 2001. I think I know the shot you're talking yeah. about. Yeah. And Superman the movie also suffers from this with the whole uh, spaceship flying from Krypton to Earth. And like that scene just goes on too long for me. Like that, that movie is fine, but there are just these long shots. Because you said this is 1968. This is 1968. So this okay. is before that whole like 70s film style that I yeah. hate. So like 10 this years. This movie is the only exception to that type of film style for me. Well, I feel, I feel like the movies took the wrong lessons from this movie. Like they tried it. <laughs> yeah. And it just didn't work mm -hmm. uh, as well as they wanted it to. It works good here. Yeah. Because you have this classical music that wasn't written for this. And yeah, it's, no. It's the vision that he had. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I really enjoyed the music. Oh, yeah. Um, I said when we were watching it, I think I've trained my brain to just try to sleep whenever I, it hears classical music. Mm. So I was like trying to fight. Like It's been a long weekend, but <laughs> um, <laughs> I was, was like dozing off a few times. I had to like shake myself awake. It also didn't help that because of how I have my TV positioned in the living room and where the main window is for the apartment and where the sun comes up and it was the morning like i had to shut the window so it made it really dark especially because it's a, it, it's a it's a sci-fi movie and it's set in outer space so whenever that happens i try especially during the day i always turn everything off i close all the windows because there's a lot of dark shots yeah. in yeah. Uh, uh, in those movies mm -hmm. and so that's why like i like i i shut the blinds well, i pulled the curtain closed so that we could see everything and i turned off that led strip in front of the yeah. tv oh, too yeah. because I, I didn't want that messing with you guys well, well, I made the joke like in the first few minutes that, oh, this is a beautiful shot because it just opens on black mm -hmm. with the like ambient sounds going on. Yeah. Like, um, they, I'm just going to call those the monolith sounds. Yeah, that's they what, are. That's what yeah. I, oh, is it? I identified them as. Yeah. Um, which I really enjoyed. Like, it, I'd be weird, weirded out in the theater if I came back from the intermission, and just had that happen for another three minutes. Like seriously, I hurried up to get popcorn, and the, I'm gonna sit here in black for another three minutes. <laughs> well, and those were long too, like to the point where I thought when I was watching it on my phone a little bit yesterday, I thought my phone wasn't showing me the video. Okay, let's talk about that for a second. Oh yeah, okay, this is important. <laughs> yeah, so Devin's had like a crazy weekend, like yeah. seeing yeah. friends and family. Yeah, you've been gone for two years almost. Yeah, it's been about two years now. Um, crazy. So we were a little worried about when Devin's gonna watch everything because we're doing two episodes that we had to watch stuff for and yeah. the third one that we're just kind of doing for fun. Oh, yeah. Um, so we were worried about when you were going to watch it and then we figured it all out last night, but you, you started watching this on your phone. Yeah. So I started watching it. So I originally, we were going to watch it at your guys or at Ryan's place last night. And I thought that was still happening and started watching it on my phone, like at the dinner table. And like the first, I don't know what, 20 minutes of this yeah. is just monolith noise. And then monkey noises. <laughs> and like, first off, I was like, hold on, they're getting a much better experience than I am because this is bananas coming out of my phone. Yeah. The second one is my whole family was around the table with me listening to me watch this movie and none of them believed it was a space movie. I guess none of them had seen 2001 before. Yeah. And they're just like, what are you watching? Why are you watching this? Turn that off. I hate this. <laughs> and like, I had to like fast forward through some of the monkey parts. Yeah. Because this, I think the monkey noise was just bothering them so much. <laughs> well, I mean, here, here's the thing. So when I first saw this movie, I was really yeah. confused because, because was it my dad was like, look, 
you're starting to like sci-fi. You may not like this. This is a little bit advanced, but this is one of the more iconic sci-fi movies that have ever been made. It's like, okay, yeah, sure. No, I love sci-fi as like a, as like a six, seven year old. I love sci-fi. Let's watch this. And like the first part of it and it's all, all of the stuff. And on top of that, we lived in a house in Alton, Illinois, which if, People think, oh, you know, that sounds familiar. That's one of the top 10 most haunted towns in the country, reportedly. So we had funky stuff at at our house occasionally. So I got freaked out at first. I'm like, what? What is this? And my dad was like, no, no, it's it's part of it. You know, don't worry about it. And the first part of this movie really confused me. But it definitely, this movie not, didn't just add to my like of sci-fi. It added to my like of science and biology and evolution because of the first part of this film, hmm. because of how it depicted, you know, like going from apes to being apes to use tools and that, evolu- and that like mental, uh, uh, advancement. Uh, or... Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. like that. And that just kind of piqued my interest into that science as well. So. All right. Real quick, Ryan, pull yeah. your microphone away just a little bit. Too loud. A little bit. How about that? That's better. Okay. That works. Um, Okay, so Devin, you talked a little bit about knowing a lot of this movie from pop culture. Yeah. What I what stood out to you? Like from the pop culture? Yeah. Oh, I mean, so my one of my friends for, or old friends from work, uh, his name is Jeff. He had a uh, monolith action figure uh, on his desk with nice. zero points of articulation. <laughs> and uh, that was like the big thing is I knew the monolith and knew that part of it. And then plus, like I said, the Simpsons part with the monkeys yeah. at the beginning with the monolith. Like those were the two parts I was like, I know I'm going to get this thing. Like, I know I'm going to get both like the monkey and I'm going to get the monolith. And I think I like understand both of those. Yeah. I definitely, the Simpsons for me too. Yeah. Um, and then the soundtrack, like everyone did the whole, yeah. Oh, what's the opening song? Um, the dun, dun, dun. Yeah. Dun. What like is that, that? That's been parody. I, I meant to look it up and have it written. It's down, in space but... balls. Uh... Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Mega maid. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think I played that in like high school band, like when I was first learning like brass. Like okay. I feel like that was one of like my first things I played on the trumpet. Like knowing it was from this movie, but not seeing the movie. Which that specific song is so important to the storyline because at that moment when that song is played, that's when every advancement happens. It happens when the monkeys come to it and they start touching it and then they can start using tools. It happens when they're on the moon and then all of a sudden they're out to Jupiter. Like that's when that tone happens. Hold on. I want to talk about that for a second. So it happens on the moon and it happens not when I think it should happen on the moon because it happened when the monkeys touched it and they got the advancement with the tools. It happened when the human characters weren't even in the pit yet. Right. It's because of what was going to happen. The high pitched squeal, yeah, that like froze that them. That was it. That was that monolith, and and we'll get into this. That was that monolith sending a signal out to the other monolith by Jupiter. Oh, okay. and that might give you a little hint as to what as to what was actually going on. Because my theory is that the advancement that happened with the moon monolith wasn't meant for the humans. It was meant for the computers, and that's what birthed Hal. No? Okay. No. Okay. You're close, okay. but no. Okay, cool. You, you are gonna... close, but no. Okay, then I think we get, need to get into the point where you need to explain this to Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Cause... So the there was an interview that was done in like 19... Uh, that was done uh, maybe like two years after the movie came out. Mm-hmm. And they asked him point blank, like, what's the storyline? And so Kubrick explained it on a basic story level, like what happens on the surface. Mm-hmm. Aliens, which you are on their point of view, watching these creatures on Earth who are apes. Mm-hmm. And they have a social structure. And they communicate, not with words, but by actions and grunts. And there is a potential there for intelligence and growth. So they decide to step in and alter this animal's evolutionary path. And they put that monolith down. The monolith stands for stuff that we just can't comprehend. Mm. They spent two years trying to figure out what the alien species was going to look like for this film. Because originally you were going to be able to see what the extraterrestrials looked like. But Kubrick finally, after like drawing and sketch and model and all this other stuff, Kubrick finally gave up and was like, look, you can't imagine what, what you cannot imagine what you can't imagine. 
Mm-hmm. So we're not even going to try to do this. The monolith is going to be just incomprehensible because that's what communication would be like with another being from another planet. We, you, you just can't comprehend it. So that's why the monolith is what it is. It's just, hmm. it's there. You don't have to understand what it is because you're not supposed to because it's not made from us. Okay. Um, but it has a direct influence on the evolutionary path of those apes mm-hmm. because they go from grunting and fighting and yelling at each other over the water hole um, to using a tool, mm-hmm. using the club, and using that as a weapon and using that to eat meat because before they used the weapon to kill those pig elephant things all the tapirs um they were eating plants so they go from being from being uh uh vegetarians Mm -hmm. for lack of a better term at the moment to meat eaters sure and they go from devons to allens they go from devons (laughs) to allens there we go so so that happens and then because of they were able to like figure out how to use a tool mm-hmm. that spun human evolution up until the point where they find the other monolith on the moon the monolith on the moon is basically like a interstellar uh like uh uh security alarm because it was giving off that signal that they found, like, buried. It was like, look, this thing is giving off, you know, there's something buried here that shouldn't be giving off the readings it is, and we and we need to go find it. Mm-hmm. And they do, and as soon as they interact with the thing, it's like, hey, the infants are out of the cage. <laughs> we need to speed things up. And so that interstellar alarm triggered the other monolith on Jupiter. And so it sent out a signal to Earth, which we found. Um, the evolutionary jump in my mind uh, at that moment doesn't have to do with computers and doesn't really Mm -hmm. have to do with humans because the monolith around Jupiter is the next evolutionary jump from the first monolith. That monolith in the middle is basically just like, hey, they're advanced enough to be walking on the moon that's around their planet. Yeah. So they can now have space travel. So as soon as they reach, you know, you you have to trigger the next stage to make them more spacefaring species, just like what you said. Got it. So on its basic level, that's what this whole movie is. An alien okay. civilization comes down, affects our evolution, and basically helps us get to where they are. All right. That now, that whole thing at the very end where he's in like a bedroom, like kind of like a hotel room, Yeah. that's basically a zoo cage. Oh, okay. Because as soon as that human... Mm-hmm. That astronaut got to that one in Jupiter, and that whole trippy scene that people like to like take drugs to and play yeah. Pink Floyd. Um, that whole thing was basically him being warped to the planet that the aliens lived on. All of that scenery, all, 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 in, all in the different colors. Mm-hmm. That's the alien planet that he's being transported to when he's flying over the surface. I figured that much. Wow, out. I yeah. didn't. So he comes to, and him seeing himself is just the passing of time. They're just showing that he's lives there for, uh, throughout his life, and all those weird noises he hears. Mm-hmm. That's what I would depict as the aliens looking in through like the two-way pictures and mirrors and stuff. The way I I took the what you're calling the zoo cage scene is it reminded me a lot of Watchmen. Yeah, it really did. Though, like, um, it's like Doctor Manhattan living in the past, present, and future. Yeah. So all at once, because like it transitions from one to the other very well. Mm -hmm. So that's all I could think of in that scene was Doctor Manhattan. Yeah. Which is really cool. And yeah, and so that, on its basic surface, like, that's the storyline. Okay. Like, aliens, it's basically the, like, epitome of ancient aliens. Like, sure, yeah. It's pretty much that. Um, so... Aliens. Aliens. Um, but yeah, and that's... And, and when I figured that out when I was in high school, because that's when I came across that originally, um, I was like, oh my god, this is... This is really cool. So now when I watch this movie, when it comes to certain things, like before when I was really confused and kind of like, what about now? Like, I'm happy because like when you're first at the first part of the movie, watching all of these monkeys dance around, it's like, why am I watching these monkeys? Even after you see it for like 10 times, it's like, no, you're, you're seeing what the aliens are seeing. They're, you know, they are like Jane Goodall, you know, in the African plains watching these like apes 
and they're just studying them. Yeah. And they decide at some point, hey, we need to interfere because there's potential here, and they do. And you get us. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, I like that. Um, it's and, a lot more straightforward than I expected. Yeah. On the surface, that's what this movie is. Yes. But there's, I'm assuming there's a lot more like in metaphor. Like, oh, a lot there's more. a lot more, but it has to go into like Arthur C. Clarke and how Kubrick and him work together. Okay. And and their vision and pretty much this is Kubrick's idea of like everything that he loves about space and space science and traveling and yeah. like all of that stuff. This film deep down to its deepest layer is just an example of what Kubrick loves about outer space. Well, and, and there was a lot about like Kubrick and outer space, or at least just outer space in this, that the movie did really cool that I didn't think like we as a culture learned to do in movies with space until like, I don't know, the early 2000s. Like the one where uh, the space station was nothing but a circle. Yeah. And you can tell they were all walking on the walls as the floors because we needed gravity to go that way. Mm -hmm. And like even in the beginning shot where you would see like they're on the like the space station before he goes to the moon, you saw like the curvature of the space station. Yeah. And yeah. I thought that was like such a cool little dumb detail yeah, that like that, I didn't know we knew. This is something that when Kubrick part partnered up with, with Arthur C. Clarke to mm -hmm. make this story, first off, Kubrick wanted a book to go off of because there wasn't one to, to, to begin with. Oh. Kubrick got Arthur C. Clarke and they talked and they brainstormed and they were like, look, and they talked to each other. We're like, we want this story. How do we do this? And so at the, so, so Arthur C. Clarke wrote the original screenplay for this movie and Kubrick then adapted it for film. And, um. and Arthur C. Clarke went on and wrote it for a book Arthur C. Clarke only put up with Kubrick because he needed the money. <laughs> wow. I didn't know that this there was, was like... a lot of tension yeah. to a certain point during the filmmaking because Arthur C. Clarke had one idea. Kubrick had another, but Kubrick, it was like, no, your mediums print mine's film. You do you. I'm going to do me. It doesn't sound like Stanley Kubrick not getting along with an author of something that he's adapting. What? <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm just saying. Yeah. I'm just trying to keep it simple because okay. there's a lot yeah. here that we it, don't really need to get. Is that into. why there are sequels to this? It probably okay. are there multiple sequels to this? There, I believe there are two. There's 2010, and then I forget what the third one is. How much do you know about the sequels, Ryan? To be honest, knowing knowing uh, knowing what 2001 is about, I don't really see it handing itself to a sequel. So I mean, I've heard of them like recently but mm -hmm. I never cared to watch because I don't any sequel I feel for what this movie is supposed to be because it, because was it the whole baby at the end yeah floating yeah yeah that's the rebirth of the astronaut who died in the zoo so it was literally him it was literally rebirth. him okay. as a baby going back to earth to start uh, the human race's new ev evolutionary path to be like a to be a star-faring species. Okay, because I thought that was just strict visual metaphor. Like no, it was it, the human race being reborn as a star-faring species. It was not literally him specifically going back. So it was literally a baby new, in space. Yeah, wow. That's that's coming back to Earth. Okay, so going back to the sequels, there are yeah. several sequels what? in the books. Uh, there's the 2010 books. Odyssey two, uh, which <laughs> it was uh, 2010, uh, the year we made contact. Yeah. Okay. In the movie, the movie terms. Mm -hmm. and there's two more after that uh there is 2061 odyssey 3 and then 3001 the final odyssey which was published in 1997 i wonder how good they are because like just like what you said the way this movie ended i don't i don't want one like yeah i don't want a sequel to this i think it's perfect the way it is honestly i think it ends in a good point I don't think that I need to know what happens to the characters because I know what happens from, to the characters. from what yeah. i understand about the sequel it clarifies what happened for anyone who didn't get it. That's mm. also what the book did because the book explains the 2001 Space Odyssey goes into more in-depth and explains things as it goes where oh. Kubrick didn't do that. Yeah. Well, so I, I said this a little bit at the top. So when I was watching it on my phone, it was through um, Amazon and Amazon would have that x-ray thing. Yeah. And whenever I went to fast forward through the monkey parts, <laughs> I would get little trivia facts in the corners. And one of the trivia facts I got was that Stanley Kubrick said that if you understand all of this movie, he didn't do his job right. Yeah. Why? Like, I don't know. Like, I, I don't know. I don't I know if I understand answer, being. I think yeah. the best answer for that is because Kubrick. 
Yeah. Like that, I think that's just how it was. Yeah, that and uh, also this was where this uh, this movie is referred to by a lot of like uh, film academics as the first mainstream movie that was ever like put out where people where like you l- literally had to consciously think about it like this is on like the same level as when the matrix first came out when people couldn't because i got it as soon as the movie as soon as i saw the matrix it was oh the robots are using humans as batteries Mm -hmm. and they're plugging them into this computer program where there are a bunch of like uh was it uh npcs or yeah yeah yeah, Yeah. just you know we're running around like a glorified g uh uh g g g g GTA. Oh, yeah. You know, like uh, a type thing. And there were people who just couldn't grasp onto that. They just couldn't get it, no matter how many times they watched it. And 2001 was one of the first movies where they did that. So here's, speaking of, here's one of the things that I was wondering during the movie, because this movie came out in 68. Mm -hmm. And while I was watching the movie, I was Googling, when did this come out? When did Blade Runner come out? When did Star Wars come out? When did, like, all of these cultural touchstones in sci-fi come out yeah and like why isn't this like the impetus to like everything like why is everyone like as soon as star wars came out everything changed like, do you want to know why why because this is uh uh 2001 space odyssey in my mind if i had to describe it yeah is a ballet in space yeah you know i actually had that in my notes um oh wow what the scene where the uh, shuttle is going into the space station yeah. that's a waltz like yeah, I, yeah. I was i was keeping track of the time signature that's a waltz so they're dancing in space so that's and that's like, what they meant to do yeah and i i really appreciated that yeah. yeah that that is something that kubrick really wanted to do for this film because him and arthur c clark um arthur c clark isn't just big in sci-fi like he's also a big like academic type person in science in general. Mm-hmm. And so there was a lot in this stuff that they actually talked with, with NASA and they talked to actual scientists about, Hey, how yeah. would a space station work? This is what we want to do. How would this physically work given all the money in the world? And we yeah. had the type of technology to actually make it. How, how would this work? And that's what they showed to the point where NASA was like, Hey, uh, we want to pretend to go to the moon. <laughs> and Kubrick was like, no, if we're going to do this, we're going to film on location. We're going to- <laughs> All right. So, uh, stepping away from the meaning of everything. Yeah. Devin, what was your favorite visual from this movie? That's a really, is there a question. moment that sticks out in mind? Yeah, actually. And this is probably one of the smaller ones, but the pen. So okay. when they were on yeah. the flight in the pen floating and like the guy's arms floating, like, like sci-fi doesn't look this good for another how many years? Like twenty. I get the, yeah, <laughs> like I get that there's those really big grandiose shots, but yeah. like that pen shot was so believable. Like mm-hmm. you can tell it was floating there, and then like and then like to just cap off what I thought was a perfect visual scene, she plucks it out of the air. Yeah, to be like, look, guess what's not on strings, guys? Yeah, and like I, that part was like I, that hooked me. That was the part that I was like, I like this movie. Mm-hmm. Okay. For me, it's a little bit earlier in the movie. My favorite shot is going over the moon with the earth and then the sun coming up. Like just the oh yeah, the visuals of that alignment and the sun coming up. I love that. Okay, which is really good. It's a good one. Yeah, mine. Uh huh. And I'm not sure because, I mean, Devin, we have to face reality. You work. Oh yeah. You you know like and so there are times where you had to answer emails. Oh yeah. So I mean, there's that and. Alan, you said before about you know the 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 music kind of making yeah. you tired. So there were there was my favorite scene, and I looked over at you guys, and I know that both of you, and I wasn't sure if if you guys caught this or not. Okay. But um, when they're on the spaceship going to Jupiter, mm-hmm. yeah. and they show the two astronauts for the first time in their spinny like living area, yeah, um, they have a whole scene where. They show the guy jogging around yep. and the cameras in one singular location. I did see and that. you see yeah. him go up and back and up and yep. back. And they do every camera angle they could think of to throw it in your face of, hey, we did this. This looks really good. Yeah. You're not gonna know how we did this because this looks impossible to do on Earth. Yeah. Um and how uh, and how was it that goes to they show the one guy eating lunch, which 
it looks like he's on the ceiling. And then, and the, and then the other the other guy comes down the ladder on the complete opposite side of like the spinny room, and he comes down, walks over, grabs food from a different location, and then walks back. Like the the filmography is that the cinematography? Right? Cinematography. Yeah, I'm not good with these technical stuff. You guys are. <laughs> I'm just the normal movie person, uh, viewer goer here. So, but like. I know that I can go online and look up how they did that. And I don't want to. I don't want to know how they filmed that. I'm going to do that tonight when we're done recording. (laughs) Because I want to keep that same awe that I had as a kid. Yeah. For that scene. Like, I just don't want to know. And that's why I've never looked up how, how... how they filmed this stuff. Yeah. Except for the trippy Pink Floyd scene. I oh, know how they did out? that. I know I know how they did that. Okay, so you keep mentioning the Pink Floyd thing. Yeah. What album is it and like what which tracks? Okay, that I don't... I think it's Over the Moon? It's Dark Side of the Moon and it lines yeah. up with Echoes, I think. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So I'm going to do... I'm going to tell you two things. One, about how they did it. They yeah. used a camera that NASA uses to watch solar eclipses. Oh, wow. And Kubrick's effects team changed it to basically just do random colors. And so, and they spliced the scene of like different times they did it and they spliced it together to make it look like it was two walls coming at you. Yeah. So that's how they filmed that. Something that happened at one of the screenings or one of the openings somewhere, I think it was was probably in California, um, where there was a reporter there. Somebody had seen it already, went back, tripped acid, came in for another showing. Oh, no. And I guess in the and, and in the middle of, of that whole like Pink Floyd segment, yeah. stood up in the middle of the theater and said, it's God <laughs> <laughs> towards the screen. So that's in print. It's an actual review that. Yeah. So that's that's great. Okay. Yeah. Actually. Like this is something that people like they would do to go kind of like what people are doing with cats right now, where they're getting wasted out of their mind before they go in to see cats. Yeah. People are just trying to figure out what the best drug combo is for cats. <laughs> and, um, it's, it's a uh, catnip. catnip. Oh. I, I don't think they've tried it yet, but I'm, yeah. I, I'm calling I, it. I, I, I will go try that out. Yeah. All That's right. what we should do tonight. Let's all go see cats on catnip. <laughs> yeah. Done. Um, okay. So I teased that I have a, a big problem with this movie earlier. Okay. Yes. Uh, my biggest problem with this movie is it's the introduction of vertical video. The the newscast that they watch, the whatever message oh, they get, yeah, it's a vertical video. Yep. Like it's like they're watching it on an iPad vertically. Yeah. And I hate vertical video. <laughs> I hate the fact that there are TVs now that will rotate so you can watch stuff from your phone on your TV. Really? Like that's not how yeah, if they just premiered them at like some trade show last Ew. week. Yeah, Ew, it's disgusting. That. Yeah. So little... like even Instagram TV, which was a vertical video format, was like, you know what? We're not going to do this anymore. Good. Like, you can still do it if you want. But for the people like me who are professional video people, you don't have to just keep doing it horizontal like yeah. you always do. So... Okay, so that was my big problem. I like I, that. I, I blame you know Kubrick for vertical video. That is a <laughs> that is a valid complaint. Um, now, speaking of the vertical video, I have one statement, and then I have a question for you guys. Okay. The statement is that uh, people, when this movie came out, remember the little tablets? Well, not tab, little tablets, but the tablets they were watching the the BBC news broadcast yeah, on yeah. that they were watching while, yeah. while, while they were eating. People were like, "Oh no, that's too advanced." Because it was just thick enough for a screen to play that people were like, that's impossible. You can't do that. But because Kubrick and Clark were like researching like tech and science, they knew that eventually we would get and I'm holding my smartphone that we would get to this at some point. So they made it that they had these like tablets that they could carry around and watch videos on. Yeah. Um, So there's that. They weren't there by 2001, though. Where were we in 2001? Was it iPod Game Video? Bo- Game Boy Advanced. Yeah. Oh, it was Game Boy Advanced? Oh. Game Boy's Advanced and almost the beginning of Sidekicks, I believe. Yeah. Oh. Uh, so. It was those Nokia bricks that you could, like, nuke. That are a... still here today. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the question I have for you guys. Now, I went over and I explained what the confusing parts, like what the, was what the monoliths were and all that stuff. What is your thoughts on how? 
on how? 9,000. Okay. So the local local grocery store has a robot. Yeah, it does. It goes around <laughs> and like scans for um scans for like spills on the floor. Yeah. And I um I get annoyed with that robot a lot to the point where I just run into it with my cart. <laughs> oh. I might not do that anymore. Yeah, no, you shouldn't. It's, it's going to try to kill me. Yeah. It's tried a few times already. Oh, like I know. At one point, it just stopped in the middle of the aisle and just started coming back towards me. <laughs> and I refused to move. And it, like, we were playing chicken. <laughs> and, like, it got to me and stopped. Wow. It was weird. Like, was those, it, like, the googly eyes part of you just staring at your soul? Yeah. Oh, no. Like, it threw off its name tag and everything. <laughs> <laughs> Stare down. Um, no, I... I like the idea that he's evolving because of the monolith. Is that that's not a thing? It's not. Oh, a that's thing? not. So wait, was that, he just broken? Yeah, he was just faltering from human error. Oh, like human error because he was becoming human, or human no, error because human error because it, it, because okay. So the whole concept of human error is that humans are it, we we're human. We make mistakes. Yeah, you know, we do things all the time. Computers are only as good as we are. Yeah. They can be made with, you know, circuits and copper and gold and all this other stuff and be made to do a routine task. But at the same time, we're not perfect ourselves. So technically anything we make isn't going to be perfect either. Yeah. And that's what happened. It just faltered because it was an extremely complex machine and it was there just to cause it's there to cause issues in the storyline. Okay, so that's. I get, I get where you're coming from. I want to tell you why I disagree. Okay. Uh, I, I know you're saying that that's the way it is. Yeah. I think it's open to interpretation. Okay. Um, because they have that whole conversation. Uh, Dave and Hal have that conversation where Hal's worried about the monolith. Yeah. Like he doesn't quite know what's going on, but he knows enough. He knows more than, than Dave does. He yeah. knows what these other astronauts kind of know. I think just the knowledge of the monolith is what corrupts him. Okay. So I think it's human error on the, in the fact it could be human error in the case of he knows this stuff and it corrupts his files. Okay, like, he was and the that's that what got me about how real, real, real bad was in the end when he was removing his data things mm-hmm. and how was I mean all of the data things were removed and how was in essence at his most basic he started talking like he was a human he was like I was born in this town on this day and my mom sang me this song or my teacher whoever sang me this song which the professor like, that programmed him. Oh, it was the professor that programmed him yeah. saying him that song. Okay. Yeah. Because like, it seemed like the more basic he was getting, the more human he was getting. Okay. So and that part freaked me out a little what, bit. So what it was, the voice of Hal was specifically made for this film to unnerve you. It was supposed to be, why is this robot more human than the astronauts? Yeah. You know, there's more emotion in Hal's voice. There's, you know, they do things that with, with just that red lens of the camera that like they do a lot with his voice and a lot with still shots to make him more emotional to a point than the actors were and Kubrick did that purposely Um, him reverting back is supposed to unnerve you it's supposed to make you upset because it's supposed to sound like he's that that Dave is killing him not just turning him off killing killing him so that so that was also done purposely but reverting back to his earliest memory that's when he was turned on for a press conference. Be like, hey, look, we designed this robot. And Hal is saying, hey, I was born on this day. You know, he's explaining himself to a news conference. And that's where that recording's coming from. And the reason why he sings that song at the end was because I'm pretty sure that if you're going to be com- making a computer that's that complex, that's going to be able to be able to commute to vocally communicate like that. Yeah. Teaching a robot how to sing. If if it can sing, it can talk. Yeah. So, I mean, that's where I feel like that came from. And Daisy was a good choice, too, because it's such a, like, it's one of those songs that, like, you learn in preschool. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that was a really good song. So, I I had a visual question about the, um, about the room that Hal is stored in. Okay. Were all of those lights originally white? Because there's one panel of light, which is the one he goes to and undoes. Mm-hmm. Every other light in that room is red. 
was that were they all red before or were they no 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 i i because think... I, I was wondering if that's just showing how like, his system has been corrupted no no no, no. it's red because uh, like okay so a lot of I don't know about you guys, but growing up, whenever I would see uh, like a sci-fi movie or a movie in general and they show the inside of a computer, like there's mm-hmm. lights. Yeah. yeah. Most of them are red. Yeah. In my mind from what I can remember. So well, part of me just part of me wondered it was it all white originally. And that's just the last part of him that is still there that he can control that he just shuts down. Like that's the core part. And he just shuts that down. I would yeah. find that really cool. If yeah. they would have showed that room at some point earlier where they did show it all white. Yeah. But when he goes into it for the first time, it's all red except for yeah. that one panel. And right. and it says on that panel, core processing, core okay. memories. Yeah. So I think that's how Dave knew to go okay. right to that spot because that's where like the main circuit board was. You think there'd be an easier way to shut him down? Yeah, it seemed really tough to do that. But also, yeah. no one's ever done it before. So, you know, why would they make that easy? At the same yeah. time, they also have a video phone booth the size of a Volkswagen yeah, <laughs> at the do. beginning of it. So, yeah, I mean, it, okay. it's one of the cool things about this movie. They show Far Out Tech, but it's so big and bulky. But it's also branded Far Out Tech. Oh, yes. Like, they have, like, great. the Whirlpool washer or, like, the, the Pan Am spaceship. Like, yeah. yeah. I love Which is that. funny, Which... and I laugh every time I see the Pan Am thing. Yeah. And it's because Pan Am, uh, after, after the first moon landing, which yeah. is... A funny story because Kubrick actually bought alien insurance in case they found aliens on Mars and on the moon oh before gosh. this movie came out, which they actually got a, an estimate cost. The insurance company that they went to for this actually gave them like what the actual number would be for alien insurance in case they actually found life on another planet before the movie came out. Wow. Um, the it just Pan Am. Pan Am. Pan Am. Yeah. They sold tickets to the moon. That they didn't, that uh, after the first moon landing, Pan Am was like, oh, look, we're going to take people to the moon because that's the next step. And so they sold plane tickets to go to the moon to like, I think, 150 people because that's how big their like spaceship was going to be. It just never happened. But I think they got like 5,000 per ticket or something like that or 10 or or was it 10,000? It was some weird, uh, it was some really expensive number for like the 60s. Do you you think like people were planning to go there for the honeymoon and they're like where are you going to the moon like the honeymooners going to the moon uh, <laughs> i mean i was told when i was in elementary school that definitely by 2010 there will there will definitely be a hotel on the moon that you can go to but that is a sure fact yeah we're not there yet. i'm waiting for it yeah. i want it um so i have two two more things i want to touch on about okay. this movie the first is i've known about the open the pod bay doors how yeah scene since I've had Siri on my phone and mm-hmm. Siri's like, oh, not this again. <laughs> um, I never knew how it ended. I never knew how he got back in the ship. Um, I was like, what's he going to do? Just back up into the door and then <laughs> jump out. And that's what he, he did. did. Yeah. Like, oh God. Like, okay. Like, I guess that might work if you're lucky. <laughs> okay. So, but you've, okay. So, well, yeah. Second thing. No, I just want oh. to know, where did he get the other space helmet? Because they don't show him get it. Like, all of a sudden, he has a space helmet on. And it's, it's green. the green one. Yeah. Well, it's because the green... Uh, so, there he was... He seals himself off yeah. in the emergency hatch. Mm-hmm. Where so, does he get the green one? Uh, because the mur- because the door... Okay, so... This is one of those things where you have to watch the movie a couple times to, like, get the layout of the spaceship. Okay. okay. So, so, is it just in there? It's right behind that door on the other end of that like emergency like like airlock. Yeah, that door is the next door in the hallway to that room where all of the little tiny pods are. Uh, so all he had to do, man. yeah, yeah. Okay. So all he had to do was walk in and grab it because there were four suits. There was a yellow suit, a ru- uh, there was a yellow, green, blue, and red suit. Mm-hmm. The yellow suit was on the dead guy. Yeah. The red suit's on the main character. Well, is on the lead astra- uh, astronaut. Astronaut, which, which, which leaves the baby blue in the green suit with yeah. nobody uh, in it. Okay, that makes sense. All right, the second thing is space toilets. Yeah, which, is, which, which is an amazing scene, isn't it? It's so good comical. Have point. you ever paused it and read the rules? No. Oh. <laughs> Can we do that after the show? Yeah, I'm, I'll look them up. Because right guys. We dug deep into the three shells to the point where I'm traumatized. <laughs> I want to go deep into space toilets because I need to know how this works. Okay, so 
I I know that I've seen like old NASA videos from when I was like in school, in, like the late '80s, early '90s, yeah. when I was young, and they're not that complicated. It's pretty no. much just a hose that you like yeah. put to the body part that you need to like yeah, extract there's, from. There's <laughs> a Netflix documentary called "You're in Space," and they spend a good ba- a good amount of time on the toilet there. Yeah, but like I'm hoping that like Kubrick found another more clever thing. Than like basically the hole in the wall plus hose that that yeah. exists nowadays. Yeah, because I mean it's just it's a funny scene because you get all this seriousness and it's just a really good comic relief moment where he's just reading these this like ten point instruction yeah like thing about how to use the uh, the zero gravity toilet. <laughs> Actually, that gives me to a good point that I wanted to ask you: Why is he ev- only ever the only one traveling? In these public means of transportation. Okay. He's the only one on the Pan Am ship. Yes. And then he's the only one going to the moon. Like, is it that this is a secret thing? Is it that nobody engages in space travel? In I gathered that it was a secret thing. Because he oh. when they when they, he's talking to the group in the lobby, he's just like, yeah, I can't really talk about right. that. Right. Yeah. Because he knows what's going on with the monolith. Yeah. But he can't. He just he can't, can't talk say about, about it. it. That and that space station's not really done yet. And you can tell that it's basically a hotel because. Right. I mean, there's kind of a answer to a Futurama joke in that because there's a Futurama joke where they're looking for some place to eat and it starts off the problem with Poplar's episode. Oh, yeah. Um, where they're hungry and they're trying to think of a place to go and somebody goes, we're a billion miles from nowhere. And then Leela goes, yeah, the best they probably have is, is a Howard Johnson's. And they had a Howard Johnson's. And they had a Howard Johnson's inside the space station going around the... Uh, and a Hilton too, right? Yeah. Okay, so I've got the instructions for the zero gravity toilet. Um, uh, <laughs> the first one is oh, no. the toilet is of standard zero gravity type, depending on requirements. System A or system B can be used. <laughs> details of which are clearly marked in the toilet com- compartment. <laughs> <laughs> when operating system A, depressed lever with and a plastic. Dalkron eliminator will be dispensed through the slot immediately underneath when having fastened the adhesive lip attached connection marked by the large X outlet hose twist the silver colored ring one inch below the connection point until you feel it lock. Nope, 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 nope. <laughs> I don't want anything locking yeah. on me when I'm nope, sorry. <laughs> so that's just Thanks, system Kubrick. A. I don't know what system B is going to be, but yeah. I'm not reading anymore. Yeah. I hope so. it's more invasive. But yeah, so there, uh, so, but it's not finished. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, so there's that. And the bases on the moon mm-hmm. aren't really for tourists. They're for like study and science and, yeah. and that kind of thing. And you can clearly tell that like, they're kind of based on nations because the people that he meets, they're Russian. Yeah. And they talk about how like the ISBB or something about there's an yeah. agreement. I know, about, th- I know in the sequel, just reading the log line on yeah. IMDB, it talks about the Soviets and the U S mm-hmm. working together to go oh, see wow. what happened to Hal and all of that. Yeah. Um, so have you guys, what is there any other like science fiction that you guys have read or seen that has colonized the moon? Anything that you're familiar with? Yeah, so I read it. It's um, Artemis by Andy Weir. Yes. Have you read that yes, one? Yes, I have read that one. It's so good. It is really good. It's I loved it. It's like a it's a heist on the moon basically, and like it's Andy Weir, so it's a guy that did The Martian okay. or that did the the book of The Martian. So like a lot of the science checks out. It's like how you would make that possible in real life. And like, yeah. it's actually kind of a better story than the Martian is like the Martian is pretty much just like, I'm going to science the shit out of this. It really is though. Yeah. Yeah. So nothing yeah, wrong with that though. I haven't really read a lot of sci-fi and this isn't the moon. It's Mars, but ghosts of Mars. Okay. I've seen that. Is it good? <laughs> no. <laughs> oh. You've seen the Martian, right? Yeah. I've seen the Martian, you know, ghosts of Mars was made in like 2005, 2006. And it's basically like a... Is that the one with Sam Neill? It might be. Okay. It's where like a mining crew on Mars opens up like an ancient alien tomb. And like there's a curse of like all of the dead spirits of all these like like murderous like aliens come out and start affecting people. And it's really like 1980s level gore. Wow. But it's like you've got these like mixture of bad and good guys having to fight with the like fight um, fight off this horde on Mars. These people who are like infected by ghosts interesting 
Ghosts of Mars. Okay, so we're about to the point where we need to wrap this up. Yeah. What are our final thoughts on 2001? Oh, I loved it. I'll watch it again any day. I, I want to watch it again knowing what I know now. Yeah. Because I want to pick up on those, like, the, the audio cues now. Like, I want to make sure that what how I think it all lines up is, mm-hmm. is how I'm told it does. Like, I, I, I would watch this again in a second. Yeah. Okay. Uh, how inclined are you to watch 2010? Not at all. Not at all? Honestly, not at all. Like, I, I like it how it is. Like, I might read a plot synopsis somewhere, but, like, I don't want to ruin what I have now. And that's exactly how I feel about yeah. it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, I'll watch this again someday. Probably yeah. not right away. <laughs> um, but I enjoyed it. Like, it yeah. might, this might be one that I put on in the background just for the soundtrack. And Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I, I will watch 2010 because I'm curious. Oh, yeah? You'll like, have to let me know. Yeah, because I... I've seen sequels to Kubrick movies that aren't made by Kubrick already, like Doctor Sleep, and wasn't oh. too impressed. So the bar is already low, so it's not gonna. Yeah. I'm not gonna be so, so surprised that it uh, that Roy Schneider doesn't pull knock this one out of the park. Yeah. Yeah. So, so uh, something you asked Devin before, and you mentioned mm-hmm. too, mm-hmm. Um, about like pop culture yeah. references, and even though, like I saw this at an early age, so I got all that stuff as I saw it. Yeah, my favorite pop culture thing. Mm-hmm for space uh, uh, for this is a album cover and it's for Punkarama six. And I found it at hot topic and there's a whole list of Punkarama albums. It's basically like, wow, that's what I call music, but yeah. it's for punk music. And they started doing it in like the nineties Punkarama six, the covers orange and it, and it has the monolith and it has it in like that indented crater. Like it was in the movie, yeah. but the monkeys are wearing um uh docks the boots <laughs> they're wearing those and they're wearing like spike bracelets and they're skanking around with animal bones oh my gosh around the monolith <laughs> and and was it that and i saw that and i was i was you know i was i was like you like late middle school early high school and i was like oh that's really cool and i'm like well i, I kind of like punk music so i'll get this and that's the album that like made me deep dive and eventually find like the Dead Kennedys and the Clash and like get into all of that. Wow. So my pulp cult, like my pop culture like reference to like Space Odyssey. Yeah. Affected like it's it like affected my deal. music taste. Yeah. So I mean and it's such I wish I could get that as like a huge poster because it's such a cool image of these like cartoon monkeys wearing Docks and just skanking with like spike bracelets around the monolith. It's it's perfect. It's amazing. So there's one more thing I wanted to bring up that you reminded me of when you brought up the monolith. So when they're outside of Jupiter and you see the monolith flying around through space, yeah, it looked like an ice cream sandwich bar to me. <laughs> <laughs> All I could think of was, uh, like I, I heard Homer Simpson in my in my head, like mm, forbidden ice cream sandwich. Bar. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so uh, yeah and and one of the big things about this movie is that there are it goes a lot deeper than what i'd explained mm-hmm. there's a lot more to it than what i've talked about but i don't want to yeah because this is one of those movies where it is art and it is what you put into it and it is what you want to take out of it and yeah. there is a basic storyline which i explained that that's what the storyline is but there's more meaning to it and i would rather people watch it and find their own meaning than me sitting here explaining what kubrick wanted it to be yeah um I respect that now saying that and i hate to one 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 more thing uh-huh. um one of the funnier things about my history with this is that i was told when i was younger by somebody in my immediate family <laughs> oh, no. that the reason why 2001 ended the way it was ended the way it did mm-hmm. was because they ran out of money <laughs> and kubrick needed to come up with an ending real quick that is not true <laughs> it's not true <laughs> the ending is what he wanted it to be so I just so. love those like those family facts where they're like, this is definitely a thing. And I'm like, that's not. It's not. That's, yeah. That's, yeah. Not, that's not how that works. But yeah, I mean, it's definitely a movie that I would want anybody who can watch it to watch it. Yeah. Um, understand that it is kind of an, an art film. So there are going to be moments where you're going to want to go over your grocery list. Yeah. That's fine. But also pay attention because you might miss something visually that's very important. Yeah. So. Yeah. Okay. So this has been Ryan Explains 2001 in Space. <laughs> <laughs> I, oh I, I, I love this it. movie. No, I, I, yeah. I appreciate the explanation because trust no. me, I needed it. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was definitely helpful. And 
I think we had a pretty good conversation. Yeah. So I, think th- I think this was worth getting together in the same room for. Definitely. Yeah, it definitely, definitely was. was. All right. Well, that does it for this week. Uh, make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram and rate and review us on iTunes and Spotify. Yes. Apple Podcasts. Wherever you're listening to us, leave a review. Please. It helps. Um, mm-hmm. So for You Have to Watch This Podcast, I'm Alan. I'm Ryan. And I'm Devin. And we'll see you next week. I love how quickly you just... You know what? That's how quickly I do it in real life, but it takes a second. (laughs) (laughs) Because because that's to go from here to LA to back. Really, my timing is identical. (laughs) 